In Matthew 13, we have a parable which is unique to the Gospel of Matthew. It is often called the parable of the tares, the parable of the weeds. It is given in verses 24 through 30 and its explanation is given in verses 36 through 43. Let's read the text. Matthew 13, 24. Jesus presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the weeds, among the wheat, and went away. And when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. The slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The slaves said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No. For while you are gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until harvest. And the time of the har- in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, First bind up the tares, gather up the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them up. But gather the wheat into my barn. Now verses 36 through 43 will be the interpretation. In verse 36, Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples said to him, came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And he said, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. And as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. And the tares are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. And the harvest is the end of the age. And the reapers are angels. So just as tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness, and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of his Father. He who has ears, let him hear. Now often the parables of Jesus began with a phrase like you see in verse 24. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man or is like a man who does this. The kingdom of heaven is illustrated sometimes by events in everyday life. And in this particular case, the kingdom of heaven is given an agricultural, an agricultural story illustrates the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is compared to a man who sows good seed in his field. Now that sounds very similar to the parable of the sower that was given in Matthew 13 verse 3. A man was sowing seed 
And that seed, that good seed, was the word of God. And here another parable where you have a man sowing seed in his field. But the text tells us that while, while his men were sleeping, his servants were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among them. This is an act of agricultural sabotage, trying to destroy someone else's field. Some say, well, this would not be a circumstance that happened in real life. But Roman law actually had prohibitions against this. So it seems to have happened sometimes. And I was told by a farmer once, that this still happens in some instances in our world today. But our point is to see the enemy comes, the enemy comes and sows tan. Now, A phrase that commentaries used quite frequently is the phrase Darnell. Now I was told by Ryan Lee, I asked him, I asked him for advice. If you do not like this, oppose, criticize him for this. He says, Darnell would not be a term that would generally be known around here by farmers, but quack grass. Did I read that right? Quack grass or rigid rye grass is something that fits this kind of description. That it would be something that would grow with wheat and is difficult to get out of wheat. And its roots would become intertwined with wheat where it was hard to do damage to the one, it would be hard to pull up these kinds of grass or these kinds of plants without also damaging the weed. Now that is the image in the context. There is no fault, by the way, in this parable, there's no emphasis put on the fact that the servants were sleeping. It is talking more about the evil of the enemy than it is about the laziness of the servants. That's just, that's just not the point of the parable. And there is good seed being sown, and there is bad seed being sown, and the servants are shocked when harvest time comes up. They have grown together, and the difference between these plants was not obvious. But as they grew together, one sprouted wheat and bore fruit in the language of Matthew and in the language of the original text. It bore fruit and the other did not. And they said, sir, who sowed this bad seed in the field? And he said, an enemy has done this. And they asked, shall we uproot the weeds with the wheat? Shall we uproot these tares? And he said, no, don't do that. Because in doing that, you may uproot the wheat also. Let them both grow together until harvest. And then, as reapers 
will separate them and put them in bundles to be burned and gather the wheat into the barn. What does all of this mean? The disciples don't instantly understand this. Now, I don't know if it's this way for you, but I know for me, when I hear the interpretation of the parable of the sower, I sometimes think I would get that message without the interpretation. When I read this particular parable, I never think I would have got that out of it without the interpretation. And what you see in this particular parable is they come to him and they said, explain to us, explain to us this parable. And he gives a description of the characters. He says, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. Now, this is going to talk to a large degree about responses to Jesus in his day. Now, I know we can still apply this and we can talk about all who go out and sow that seed, that Jesus seed, that Jesus sowed, that, that we look back to the word and we, when we look at his message for his information. But, 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 but also, this is going to talk about why is there such bitter resistance to the message of this Messiah? If Jesus is the promised Messiah, why is it that so many are rejecting him? But the one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. That's interesting. Field is not specifically said to be the church here. The field is the world. And this seed is sown in the world. And the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. Now, before in the parable of the sower, the good seed was the word of God in Luke 8 verse 11. But in this particular parable, the seed has become personified in those people who listen to the word. The seed are the sons of the kingdom. And the bad seed, the evil seed, the one who sowed tares, these are sons of the evil one. Remember Jesus said, you are of your father the devil, who was a liar from the beginning in John 8, around verse 44. There are sons of the evil one, and they are represented in this particular parable by the tares. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. Satan. Before Satan was snatching the word that was sown on the hard soil, now the Satan is actively sowing bad seed. He's sowing bad seed. He's planting things that will be destructive to a great spiritual crop. The harvest is the end of the age. The reapers are angels. Now, it is rare that Jesus gives explanation. Again, it's interesting that he gives the parable to the crowd. He gives the explanation to the disciples when they're alone. And it's Jesus. But Jesus rarely gives an interpretation, but there is no interpretation of a parable that is as detailed in what all the characters represent as this. Nothing exactly like this 
in the Gospels. I want you to notice where the emphasis of verses 40 through 43 falls. Does the emphasis of this passage fall on? Don't pluck up the tares because you may uproot the wheat. Does it emphasize most what happens to the wheat or what happens to the wheat? Just, just look at the text and think about that. In verse 40, the tares are gathered up and burned with fire. It's interesting to me that that would be mentioned first anyway. That's mentioned before what happened to the good seed. The tares are gathered up and burned with fire. And so it shall be at the end of the age. A phrase that is used frequently in the Gospel of Matthew. The Son of Man will send forth His angels. Now this is significant here. Let me just make a passing point of this. This parable shows us the deity of Jesus. He sends forth His angels. They gather out of His kingdom. Now, I know the kingdom is described in verse 43 as the kingdom of their father, but it's also his angels and his kingdom. And truly, Jesus is occupying this position as judge, which the Jewish people said was God's prerogative alone. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks... And those who commit lawlessness, all of these will be gathered out of his kingdom and thrown into the furnace of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That phrase used five or six times in the New Testament. Every time except one, Luke 13, 28, the only exception. Every other time in the Gospel of Matthew, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now we're going to talk more about some of the elements of that. Lord willing, in the next few minutes. But verses 13... Or, excuse me, chapter 13, verses 37 through 39 gives us kind of, as some writers have said, the glossary to define the terms of the parable and then verses 40 through 43 describe the time of fulfillment. We live in wartime. I don't mean there a conflict that's happening between Russia and Ukraine. I'm talking about a spiritual conflict that is always going on. We live in a time of spiritual conflict, spiritual battle. And these parables illustrate that point. 
We already stated, we already referred to earlier, that when the interpretation of the parable of the sower is given, in 13 verse 19, the Bible says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away that which has been sown in the heart, that is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. If the seed is sown in your heart, whether through listening to the Word in an occasion like this, whether it's through reading the Scriptures, Satan is trying to snatch away the good seed that is sown in your heart. Satan is alive and well, unfortunately. But in verse 39, the Bible talks about him being the enemy who sowed the tares. Now he is not just snatching the good seed, but he is actively sowing bad seed. He's actively sowing bad seed. And this points us to a spiritual conflict and a spiritual war that has been going on all throughout the Gospel of Matthew. Sometimes more evident than others. But let me illustrate. Magi come from the east. They said, we've seen his star and we've come to worship him. Where is he who is born king of the Jews? Herod calls together the religious authorities. It says, where is the Messiah to be born? They quote Micah 5, verse 2. Out of Bethlehem, in Bethlehem, he would be born. He goes back and reports this to the Magi, to the wise men in Bethlehem of Judea. And Herod adds, when you find him, when you find him, bring me word that I too may go and worship him. They bring him their gifts of gold and frankincense and, and myrrh, but they're warned by God in a dream not to go by him, not to go back to Herod. At the same time, Joseph is warned in a dream, I want you to take the child and take his mother, and I want you to go down to the land of Egypt. When Herod realizes that he's been tricked by the Magi, he makes a decree that all the male boys, two years old and under, in Bethlehem be destroyed. Now, why do I tell that story? Revelation 12 gives us more insight in that story. You remember that great red dragon? And the child, the woman, was about to give birth to a child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron? That's an allusion to Psalm 2 verse 7. And this dragon is waiting to devour this child. But as soon as the child is born, he is called up into heaven. What that is telling us is these efforts to destroy the child Jesus in Matthew 2 ultimately don't owe their origin to Harry the Great, but they owe their origin to Satan. And there is a constant 
conflict in our world between good and evil, between God and Satan. That is not to say that Satan is as powerful as God. And it doesn't deny the free will of man, but it is to say that there is a very real spiritual conflict. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against spiritual wickedness in high places, Ephesians 6 and verse 12. We see this constant spiritual conflict continued in Matthew 4 in the temptations of Jesus. If you're the Son of God, I will give all these kingdoms to you if you fall down and worship me. We see this conflict when Jesus casts out demons and the devil is even willing to speak evil of himself in order to undermine the work of Jesus. For the devil is willing to have evil people say he cast out demons. Jesus is only doing this by the power of Beelzebul. All through the Gospel of Matthew, we have seen this spiritual conflict between God and Satan. And we see, we catch echoes of it in the New Testament. Now, I'm going to look through several passages right now. And I'm asking you, if you will, to turn with me. And I just want to demonstrate how all these temptations are attributed to Satan, the devil, the evil one. Look in 1 Corinthians 7, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 5. In this passage, addressing husbands and wives and telling husbands that their bodies don't belong to themselves, but their wives and telling wives their bodies don't belong to themselves, but to their husbands. In 1 Corinthians 7, 5, stop depriving one another except by agreement for a time that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Satan is behind the immorality and trying to encourage husbands and wives to be unfaithful to one another. Look at Ephesians 4 verses 26 and 27. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. And do not give the devil an opportunity. When you hold on to anger, when you cherish hatred, it is giving the devil an open door. It is giving him an opportunity. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, as the Bible is speaking of the qualifications of an elder, it says in verse 6, 1 Timothy 3 verse 6, that this one is not to be a new convert so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. The devil is trying to lift us up 
with pride. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, 1 Timothy 5, we're going we're gonna to lead to verse 15, but let's explain the context as he's encouraging younger widows to marry and instead of being cared for permanently by the church he says in verse 11 refuse to put younger widows on the list for when they feel sensual desires in disregard of Christ they want to get married thus incurring condemnation because they've set aside their previous pledge at the same time they also learn to be idle and as they go around from house to house and not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies talking about things not proper to mention. Therefore, I want you, I want younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach. For some have already turned aside to follow Satan. When these women were becoming idle and busybodies and gossips, Satan was behind it. Get 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. In verse 8, be of sober spirit, be on the alert, your adversary, the devil. Prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm as your firm in your faith, knowing the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Now, in that context, I take it that the way that the devil, as their adversary, is seeking to devour them, is through their sufferings. By the connection in verse 9. Revelation 12 verse 10. Excuse me. Revelation 2 verse 10. Satan is about to cast some of you into prison. In the midst of hard times and persecutions. The devil is trying to get us. To curse God. And die. As Job's wife told him. There's a real battle going on. And it's going to go on till judgment. There's not going to be peace on earth until God finally comes and enforces that peace. Hostile groups are not going to get together, not as a whole, not to eliminate all problem. It's going to continue. And I think this parable was largely told for people for whom the coming of the Messiah, if Jesus is the Messiah, it, it didn't meet their expectations. For example, the Qumran community, the Essenes, the, the ones responsible for the Dead Sea Scrolls, wrote of the sons of light, the sons of darkness. And when the Messiah came, he was going to 
put down all the sons of darkness and exalt all the sons of light. And many of these people were expecting a similar kind of thing. They were expecting that when the Lord came, he would be triumphant over the Romans. The Messiah came and that that the Jewish people would be uh, reigning and and be conquering all their foes. And things don't look like what they expected. And and I can sympathize from this standpoint. If you simply looked at the news, on television, on the internet, listen to the radio, whatever you saw, would you conclude from all the news, God reigns? God does reign. Jesus But it's not always evident from events around us. Because there's a constant spiritual conflict where the good seed that's been sown in the heart is taken away and evil seed is deliberately sowed to try to take our eyes off the one who can bring salvation. There is a very real spiritual war. There's a very real spiritual conflict. And all of us have to be enlisted in the battle. We have to volunteer for the Lord's army Or by default, we will be in the army of the enemy. And this parable stresses that even though it doesn't look at this moment that God reigns, it will be evident. It will be evident. Everybody will see it. Everybody will know it. There will be absolutely no doubt. And those who have followed their father, the devil, in sowing the evil seed or seeking to snatch away the good will meet a horrible, horrible demise. And those who have followed their Savior in seeking to sow good seed, in seeking to build, and seeking to plant, they will be gloriously vindicated and their faces will shine as bright as the sun, the text says in verse 43, which is language borrowed from Daniel 12 and verse 3. The language of Daniel 12 comes into play in this passage. Now, some people use this parable to talk about how we should practice church discipline. Notice that really the point of the parable has more to say about the judgment on the wicked than it does the vindication of the righteous. Think about that. As these people, as the apostles were seeing people who they probably respected before, 
saying of their savior that they're following he's casting out demons by the power of the devil they will meet a disastrous end they will be gathered up and burned with fire thrown into the furnace of fire that language may take the language of Daniel 3 verse 6 where Nebuchadnezzar threatens all those who will not bow down and worship his image with the furnace of fire that language in verse 42 may take the threats of Nebuchadnezzar for his false god and use it to describe the fate of those who reject this Savior. This Savior who was God, who is God, and who subjected himself to hatred, to hostility, to murder in the cross, as Tony described earlier. Those who reject that greatest of all sacrifices will be thrown into the furnace of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But the righteous will shine. Shine forth as the sun. Later in this gospel, we will come to a passage where Jesus' face was shining as brightly as the sun. Here, it is the followers of Jesus. The righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. For the one that sought to sow the good seed and been rejected, they will shine forth for those who have sought to follow their Savior in good times and bad and been rejected or neglected. They will shine forth. They will be gloriously vindicated. It's a fun time of life in a long way to be around college age 18 to 21 I, I know some young people have told me if you they hear somebody say that's the best time of your life they know it's an older person who's forgotten how hard those days were <laughs> I understand what you mean I felt some of that in my day but I understand too how you can say that it's a troubled time it is a pleasant time but if you're talking to someone who is in their third or fourth year of college and they are spending all kinds of money and going to school and you say what plans do you have for your life and they say well I haven't really thought about it isn't it about time you start to think about it And at least start making movements in that direction, even if it won't come all at once. 
to chart out a path to get there, to get to where you want to be. And let's suppose you're a younger person who has a good, solid job and you're making a good amount of money. And you're spending every penny that comes in every week. And don't you think it's time to start saving something? To think about more than the right here, right now, think about the future? As we grow older, and we have people who are dependent upon us, and if we were taken out of the way, they may not have the means to survive. It's, it's logical, it's reasonable for somebody to say, have you thought about Hey, so kind of wise to plan for the future. What I mean to illustrate in all of those things, is those are all circumstances in which really it's it's pretty nearsighted not to make any future plans. I want to tell you. How nearsighted is it to not make plans for eternity? How blind is a person? When I think about atheists who have spent their whole life undermining God and undermining the world of God and who are in their final hours. What thoughts cross their mind? Oh, you see the phrase, well, they'll live on forever in our hearts and our minds. We know better than that. They would be filled with an emptiness. And I would think an overwhelming, unspeakable fear. That they had been wrong if they really even believe what they said. What preparation are you making for the future? I'm not talking here about your job. I'm not talking now about saving money or getting life insurance. Those things are not the things of ultimate significance. I am thinking about standing before the God who made us.
and standing before the Christ who died for us, who is willing to forgive, who is wanting to save, who uses even these warnings of Scripture of how disastrous it will be if you don't listen to Him to wake you up and to bring you to Him. If you don't make preparations, you're acting foolishly. Let me just read verses 40 and 43 again. Just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, So it shall be at the end of the age, the Son of Man will send forth His angels and He will gather out of His kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. The wheat and the tares will be forever separated. And the Jesus who sowed good seed wants you to be among the sons of the kingdom. And he wanted that so badly that he died for you, for me, to save us. The God who spoke our worlds into existence died as a criminal on a tree for your sins and for mine. So that we might be forgiven. That we might be saved. That we might live forever with Him. That we might be with the righteous shining forth in His kingdom forever. Do you believe it? As Paul said to King Agrippa. I know you believe. to repent and be baptized or acknowledge sin and ask for prayers. We want to be among the weed gathered into the barn and invite you to join us as we stand and sing. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord.
sweet the sound that saved the 